Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Today's scripture verse is found in Colossians chapter 1, verse 17. It's found on page 833 in the Red Pew Bible. Hear the word of his holy, powerful, and matchless word. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. May God add a blessing to a reading of his word. You may be seated. Well, it's an emotional day, isn't it? Last night at the hospital, uh, we had a good time as a staff and, and just relating and just talking with Pastor. We had a great time um, meeting with him and, and talking with him and sharing some things. And he and I, uh, we'll, we on, meet on a weekly basis. And we, we, we meet uh, Wednesdays at, at, at 3 p.m. every Wednesday. And we talk for an hour. We talk about ethos or Sunday night service. We talk about um, a number of different things. And sometimes we will just talk about theology. Sometimes we'll kick it around and we go, didn't we have business to talk about afterwards? And, oh, yeah, that's okay. We'd get that done in about five minutes. But sometimes we just sit there and talk about theology. We have this whole argument about eschatology. Google it later or something. And Gordon and I... Where I, I walked up to Gordon yesterday and I said, hey, you're going to see Jesus first, so would you ask him for me? And then he said, he said, he laughed and he said, I'll get a face-to-face with him right away. And that's what Gordon's going to do. He's going to get a face-to-face with our Savior. I asked Lindy last night, if Gordon were here one last time, what would he say? What would he want to tell everybody? And she told me that she said, Gordon would really want everybody to continue on with the vision. The vision is, is central to what we are and central to who we are and central to what we do. And so what I'd like to do, before we even move on, it's going to be up on the screens, and I'd like to read that together as a community. I will start reading it, and then please join with me. We are a Christian community called to worship God by impacting our neighborhood through meeting physical, educational, and spiritual needs resulted in devoted followers of Jesus Christ. That's what he would want. And, and you know what? Lindy told me something kind of profound right after that. She said, and you know what Gordon would really want? He'd want somebody to come up to him in heaven and tap him on the shoulder and say, you don't know me. But because, but because Katie Taylor, because Bill Jenkins, because Ken Williams, because Paul, because everybody here lived the vision of NCF out, I'm here today with you. And that's what he told me, and I thought, that's how fitting. That is exactly what Gordon would have wanted. He'll want to be up in heaven and get those surprises. You don't know me, but because somebody lived the vision out, because somebody met my physical need, because somebody met my educational need, because somebody told me about Jesus and met my spiritual need, I'm here today to be with you and to worship Christ for eternity. And, and, and when Lindy said that, I said, wow, do I, do I even need to say anything else tomorrow? <laughs> Lucky for you, I planned a bunch more to say. <laughs> well, I think you should all know that Pastor Gordon's listening right now because he's actually on Skype. And so the family is listening into the service. And so he could hear what we're saying right now. And so at the end of this service, maybe we could hold the microphone up and say we love you. Um, 
a few weeks ago on Wednesday, Pastor Gordon was getting better. They, I, I went there to visit him. Um, I, had been, I was in Indiana the week before, and I'm flying in, and I got a phone call that said, you need to come visit Pastor Gordon right away. Things aren't going well. So I came in the next day, and I visited. And um, when I got there, the doctors came in, and the whole cavalry came in and said, guess what? We, we found your, what your infection is. And, and uh, at that moment, things were looking a lot brighter. Things were looking good, and we reported that to you. Things were looking great. Um, unfortunately, yesterday, he took this turn for the worst. But something his doctor said stuck with me. And it kind of made me think about today as an anniversary of 9-11 and thinking about Pastor Gordon, it made me think about our, our common um, story as we live together. Gordon's doctor reached over to his arm, and, and Gordon, you could just see in his face, he was relieved. He reached over and touched Pastor Gordon's arm, and, and he says, are you feeling better? And he kind of stopped everything he was doing. He didn't, he didn't keep going on with reading the charts and doing everything. He kind of just stopped and said, are you, are you feeling better? And Pastor Gordon says, oh yes, I'm so relieved. I'm feeling so much better. And in a, in a most serious way, he simply said, Gordon, you feeling better makes me feel better. And it, and it made me think in this instant of, of this common um, ground that we stand on of suffering. At 9-11, 10 years ago today, I mean, every single one of us remember exactly where we were. We felt that pain. As we saw the walls of the pictures of the missing, as we saw the planes crashing, we felt that pain. As we saw the towers coming down, we felt that pain. There is this common unity in suffering. And today, many of us are hurt and we're hurting and we feel that. We feel the pain of the family. We feel our own pain and, and, and loss of knowing that, that um, in just a short time, I mean, we should be celebrating that Pastor Gordon would be with Jesus, but there's also still this gripping loss that we feel. There's this unity that people have with suffering. If I were to ask you all to, to stand up and say, everybody who loves baseball, stand up. You might look at each other and go, okay, yeah, I, I like baseball. But if I were to say, Everybody who's been affected by cancer, please stand up. That would be a totally different bond. There's this common unity that we all have by suffering. It's an instant bond. It's the story of this church. It's the story of 9-11. It's the story of anybody who's ever lost somebody. It's a common bond that we have in suffering. Amidst, in 9-11, amidst the hate that we saw towards our country and towards people, towards humanity, we felt the, the rest of the globe cry out in pain. In the moment of desperation, there was no clear way to put it that we are all somehow connected. Sure, there was some backlash and different things like that, but somehow in, in our nation's history, and even now as we think about Pastor Gordon, we feel this common connection, and that's why we read Colossians 1.17. I'm going to reread that one more time. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. This verse says that somehow Jesus is the glue. Somehow Jesus holds all the universe and everything all together in his sovereign power. The Greeks used to say that Zeus holds all things together. The Romans used to say Jupiter holds all things together. But this is, as Paul says, this is Jesus holds all things together. He is before all things. He's the pre-existing one. So even in our suffering, Jesus holds us all together. 
All through the Old Testament, we see that there's this cry that the oppressed have. The people who are oppressed, people who are hurting, all cry out together. And this Hebrew word that's used is, is, is sewak, is S-A-A-Q. Sewak is what we cry when we're hurt. It's what God hears. So in Genesis, um, in the beginning, when, when Cain kills Abel and God says, the blood of your brother cries out to me from the ground, what God heard was the zewak, the cry of the oppressed person. We know that God, our God is a God who hears our cries. Ultimately, overall, that is who God is. God is our rescuer. God is our strength in our time of need. God hears our cry. Exodus 3, 7 says this, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. We serve a God who is concerned about each one of us, each hair on our head, each person's suffering. And we can't really imagine, I mean, if we go back to Egypt, we can't really imagine how brutally repressive it was to live in this society. Seven days of straight work, morning to night, no breaks, little food, little water. If you fell out of line, there was this brutal oppression that happened to you. The slave drivers would beat you. So it was a brutal society in which they lived. You would have been kept poor. You would have been broken. And all through the Old Testament, we see that God somehow remembers our suffering. And God actually hears the cry of the oppressed. The book of Nehemiah, chapter 9, verse 9, it says, You saw the suffering of our forefathers in Egypt. You heard their cry at the Red Sea. Our God is a God who hears our cries. And one of the things that I was even thinking is that even in um, God rescues Egypt eventually, or not Egypt, I'm sorry, God rescues Israel out of Egypt and, and God liberates them to a new land, a land that he will give them to the promised land. So God gives them this hope, but he makes them work for it. And even in the Ten Commandments, there is a reminder that God hears our suffering. Deuteronomy 5.15 says this, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath. The very idea that we even observe a day that we don't work and that we rest comes from the idea that we need to remember that God delivered us from suffering. The very idea that they gave this to Egypt or, I'm sorry, that, that was given to, to the, the Jews in the midst of, of their exodus was that they had to remember what they were saved from. Take a day off work because you used to have to work seven. Take a day and just do nothing because you used to be brutally oppressed. Take a day and do nothing and remember your salvation. A couple of theologians say it like this. The fourth commandment is to take a Sabbath, a day each week, and not to do any work. In Egypt, they work without a break, being treated like objects to be exploited, not people. The Sabbath is the command to take a day a week and remind themselves that they are not in Egypt anymore. <coughs> Excuse me. 
that their value doesn't come from how many bricks they produce. Their significance comes from a God that rescued them, the God who loves them. Job 36.15 says this, But those who suffer, he delivers in their suffering. He speaks to them in their afflictions. God speaks in our afflictions. Are we listening today? Are we hearing what God might say? Psalm 22, verse 24 says, For he has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but he has listened to his cry for help. I think about September 11th. I think about Pastor Gordon, where he's at right now, as he's even listening in to this message. And the great promise that wherever we're at, no matter what we've done in our lives, no matter who we've harmed, no matter uh, who we've sinned against, no matter what we've done, God will always love us. And God will always hear our cry. Because our God is compassionate. Because our God is loving. Because in the midst of our suffering, God created this plan. In the midst of our suffering, because we, we also suffer from another condition. Israel suffered in Egypt under this brutal oppression of man. But we also suffer from this sin condition, this condition where sometimes we just continually screw up and we don't know what to do. Paul in Romans chapter 7 says, I, I do what I don't want to do. I do what I know is evil and I don't know why I do it. And sometimes we suffer from that same thing. And ultimately God brought a rescue plan. And ultimately sometimes we suffer from our sin. But God brought a rescue plan. Sometimes people come and alleviate us from our suffering. Not all the times. Sometimes it's God. But sometimes people come and alleviate us from our suffering. I'm reminded of, of John chapter 13. Or I'm sorry, John chapter 15. Where in verse 13 it says, Greater love has no other than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Jesus was referring to himself. But as we look back on 9-11 and those suffering, and the story that Pastor Mark read this morning, as people were rushing to escape the trade centers, as people were rushing to escape, as people were suffering in that moment, God sent people who laid down their lives so that others might live. I think of the first responders on 9-11. They knew that they might die and yet they gave it all. As I remember 9-11, I remember that God hears our cry and sometimes sends people. I remember the response of a suffering nation. I remember the sacrifice, the countless sacrifices of police, fire, National Guard, and armed services. I'm reminded of the people who traded their lives in that day so others could live. I'm reminded that Pastor Gordon, too, is a police officer. And that today is his actual retirement from the West Covina Police Department chaplaincy. Suffering and sacrifice go hand in hand. I want to read to you an experience from a firefighter who retold his experience to the, to the BBC a few years back. Jay Jones was a fire captain on September 11, 2001. He and his units were inside the North Tower of the World Trade Center when it collapsed. 
We were, on the er we were one of the earliest fire units to respond to the emergency at the World Trade Center. We were in the North Tower when the second plane hit the second tower, the South Tower. We got to the 27th floor the, when the South Tower collapsed, so we started to retreat. Once we got to around the 20th floor, we saw a woman in distress and stopped to rescue her. We were carrying her downstairs and made it to the fourth floor when the, tray, when, the, when the North Tower collapsed with us still inside. When it came down on top of us, I felt like we were dead men walking. I really felt that we would be very lucky if we made it out of there. As it turns out, we did. But we were extremely fortunate to have been in the one little spot that remained quasi-intact. A little bundle of safety where the rest of the building was ripped to shreds. The area where uh, we were in was the geographic center of the tower. The collapse kind of ran, ran out of energy when it came to us. If you were below us on the ground floor, you wouldn't have made it. You had to be in this little pocket. It was all twisted and filled with rubble, but it was survivable. The rubble pile itself was about seven stories tall. We were trapped in there for about four hours. The smoke and dust eventually cleared to the point where the sunshine started hitting the area where we were trapped. That allowed us to look inside, and thankfully we saw some of our fellow, fighters, fellow fire, firefighters off in the distance. We called out to them, and we managed to free ourselves before they got to us. There were 14 of us in a little hole, and we all survived. But we lost 11 people in our firehouse that day. There was a fire chief a little bit further down from us, who we were speaking to, who died while we were trapped. We experienced not only the horror of the collapse, but we also experienced the fear and the horror of the events that were taking place. We saw people jumping. We saw debris falling and crashing. When I was on the 27th floor of the North Tower and the, the South Tower collapsed, that was the scariest, uh, that was the scariest of all. As for long-term impact, Health is a major concern. As far as evidence and the air, the site being a health danger is absolutely true. And by the way, just this year, two more firefighters died of cancer because of the carcinogens that were in the dust of the air of September 11th. Go back to Jay's story. I've had good friends of mine in particular, one in particular who's my neighbor, a big, healthy, strapping man who worked at the pile, Ground Zero, for weeks afterwards. His lungs got so bad that he couldn't even walk across my kitchen without taking a breath from his inhaler. This man was a fireman's fireman, a big strapping man, and his health is destroyed. I find myself becoming short of breath on cold and humid, day, humid days. So I'm waiting for that other shoe to drop. I might not be out of the woods with the September 11th. The long-term effects are going to be monumental. And then he said this, and this is the whole reason why. I want you to see what this man suffered through the day. And then he said this, but I wouldn't do anything differently. What's, that's what firemen do. Our friends were buried in there. Other people were buried in there. We were trying to get them out. We were trying to rescue people upstairs. We were in full retreat mode when we were coming down the stairs, and yet we still had the courage to stop and save the woman on the, on the fourth floor. Her name is Josephine Harris, and we carried her down the stairs to safety, which greatly slowed our, our exit, although in every fiber of our being was screaming at us to get out of the building. But we wouldn't leave her. That's what firemen do. 
I definitely have gone through the emotional changes in dealing with the events of that day. I try now to cherish little moments, especially with my kids, as best I can. And knowing what emotional distress they went through with this, I try to go the extra distance to make sure that they were having good experiences as children and make sure they were coming through this experience as well. I wanted you to hear that experience from a firefighter. Even though he went, went through everything that he went through, even though buildings were collapsing on him, he said, I wouldn't think of any other thing to do because that is what I do. This woman was suffering, and I rescue people. And that's what God does for us. We are suffering, and he rescues. Even in our endless cycle of sin, God knows it, and he rescues us. When Jesus began his ministry, he began to preach, and and Luke 4 records this. Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus' job was to alleviate suffering. But how did he do it? Not through a political revolution, not through military means, not through his, but through his blood on the cross. Today, as we remember 9-11, today as we think about our good friend and our pastor who's suffering right now, today we remember the heroes who sacrificed so that others can be saved. Today we remember that Jesus gave the ultimate sacrifice so that we can be saved. So that our oppression of sin can be, can be lessened. So that God can give us a new life. So that God can have us start over again. We remember that Jesus hears our cry. That when we cry out, the God of this universe hears each one individually. Today, that's what we hold on to. And today, that's what we remember. Because when we cried out, he sent his son. When we cried out, he gave us Jesus. When we literally couldn't do it anymore, he says, I have a way. I have a plan. As we cry out, God sent us Jesus so that we could have a relationship and never be the same so that we can be changed, so that a relationship with God can be mended. Today, we're going to take communion in this reality. Today, we're going to offer this up, the body and the blood of Christ, the sacrifice that gives new life. As God hears our cry, he gave himself for us. So as the communion elements come to the front, I want to remind us that Communion is open to all believers in the Wesleyan Church. And then if you believe in Jesus Christ and if you called on his name to be saved, then Jesus wants to give you new life. Maybe today, as the elements are passing, one of the things we talk about communion is that it is a means of grace. And that as the elements pass, you see them and go, wow, Jesus did this for me. He gave me his body. He spilled his blood so that we could be saved. So that our suffering can be gone. 
and that he can take all that suffering on himself because that is what he did on the cross that day. Maybe for you, that's what these elements represent today. So as the ushers come forward, I'd like to offer us the body of Christ.